This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Austin and Audible's podcast. Matt Preem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on this Monday, happy Labor Day edition of the Austin and Audible's podcast. Uh, real quick, go to duckterritory.com, subscribe for a 50% off membership. Uh, we're at the last couple of days uh, for this promotion. You don't want to miss it out. Uh, gets you all of this season, all of men's and women's basketball, all of baseball, spring football, summer recruiting. You get the whole shebang with uh, that membership, uh, and you save a huge chunk of money doing it. And it's the easiest, most impactful way to continue to support this podcast to ensure that uh we continue to do it all right uh we've got a couple questions for the mailbag um we've got a game to kind of discuss uh there's gonna be a lot to talk about yeah we're first half of the show is going to be kind of a bit of a look ahead at tech and then the second half we're going to kind of do some review we've got four questions today um from i think two or three of them are people i haven't seen their their names in the questions. So excited to get kind of a new audience, new folks asking questions. First one we're going to start with, pretty simple here from at SRV14. Does Texas Tech's loss help or hurt the Ducks? How? Um, and for those who didn't follow along on Saturday, several hours after Oregon finished up its 81-7 to win over Portland State, uh, Wyoming held off Texas Tech in, in over double overtime, 35-33, it's actually a pretty fun game to watch, regardless of rooting interest. Um, and I think if you were an Oregon fan, your rooting interest would have been probably Texas Tech, just in terms of better to have your marquee non-conference opponent take care of business against Wyoming. Um, but to this question, <clears throat> like it's not ideal, and I think you would have preferred Texas Tech won. I don't know if like it hurts all that much, because strength of schedule is not going to be Oregon's problem this year regardless. So if they beat Texas Tech on Saturday, which I don't know, we'll have to look through and see what we think. We'll get through the week here and we'll make some predictions. But I don't know if it like hurts or helps a whole lot one way or the other. But Texas Tech's loss doesn't strengthen Oregon's strength of schedule. But I think Oregon's strength of schedule is going to be pretty darn strong on its own just because of the merits of, of conference play. So um, I probably lean it hurts a small amount, but it doesn't really hurt enough that it it matters too much. And it, but the, probably the biggest thing it does is take a little of the luster off of next week's game. Um, Texas Tech would have been maybe kind of in the fringe of the back end of the top 25 kind of team, at least getting votes. Yeah. Now they won't be. Um, but big picture, long term for the season, I don't know if this is going to be that big of a deal. I think if Oregon does what it needs to do throughout the year, they'll still have a chance to achieve the goals that they have. But but again, this season is going to be determined for me in October and November, not September. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it makes that big of a difference, to be quite honest with you guys. Um, I mean, yeah, it would be great if they flied into Lubbock and Red Raider Stadium and it said one and O Texas Tech versus one and O Oregon. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, Texas Tech was not a great out of conference opponent. Um, they were better than Portland State, and they're going to be better than Hawaii. But 
This wasn't a Georgia. This wasn't like a, a non-con SEC opponent, a top 25 surefire team. I, I just don't think it's going to make that much of a difference. I think from a fan perspective, it certainly would have helped if Texas Tech had pulled out their game and, and won against Wyoming. But uh, this is why you play the games. Uh, the Texas Tech was like a 17-point favorite, and they end up losing by two in double overtime. Uh, Tech also blew a 17-point lead, so uh, not exactly a great performance from them. Um, but in the grand scheme of the course of the season, like Eric said, it's going to be Pac-12 and how they perform compared to whatever Texas Tech does. Like if somehow by week six, Washington were to have lost two or three games, um, that would be a huge problem for Oregon's strength of schedule. Or say Good USC point. does the same thing. Yeah. Like that's what matters. Like Texas Tech was neither a bump in the strength of schedule nor – um, like a negative in their strength of schedule. So, yeah, it would have been nicer if they won. It would have been, looked cooler. It would have had a little bit more hype instead of, um, you know, talking about Texas Tech losing to Wyoming. But uh, I don't I don't think it matters that much. I kind of disagree. I, I think if you're Oregon, um, it helps that the Pac-12 is being viewed as a strong conference this season. But we know that the league eventually is going to beat up on itself. And there's going to be some cannibalization. Some of these perceived strength of wins in league are going to get knocked down a notch or two because a team's going to have one extra loss. Um, you want every non-con opponent that you play to basically win every game they, they play except against you. And um, is it going to, like, grand scheme of things change a whole lot? No. But it's better that they're one and zero than zero and one, and it's better that if they are uh, an eight and four team at the end of the year than a six and six team because people are going to look at you know oh you went and beat a a, a team that struggled to be five hundred on the road whoop de do that's not gonna that's gonna matter but on the grand scheme of things too like if you're Oregon and you go unscathed through the season which has only happened once and you emerge out of the Pac-12 championship game 13 and 0, it doesn't matter what Texas Tech did. You're in the college football playoff and you're in there and you're going to have probably the number one or the number two seed at that point. Uh, it only be, it only becomes a factor if you lose a game. And if you don't look good against Texas Tech and Texas Tech is – seven and five on the season that's going to cast just a little bit of human bias doubt into into maybe how good you are but is it detrimental to Oregon's schedule no would it have helped absolutely it, it was one of those like it, it's not going to hurt you but it only could help you if they were one or no and if they continue to win after Oregon I think the last thing I'll say we're talking about assuming Oregon beats Texas Tech if Oregon were to lose to Texas Tech this weekend and, and Texas Tech had lost Bad. to Wyoming, that, that's mm -hmm. where it maybe hurts you a little bit more. Um, if we assume Oregon's going to beat Texas Tech, which I think I plan on predicting close to close the week here, but we'll we'll get through the week and see. Then this game, then what Texas Tech does to me doesn't matter too much. The strength of that win doesn't matter that much to me. But if they lose this game, that becomes a, 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 a loss that looks a lot worse. I mean, I was actually surprised looking at Tech was predicted to go fourth in the Big 12. Um, this year ahead of, of ahead of TCU, ahead of Baylor, which surprised me. I think it was Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas State at the top of the Big 12 preseason poll. All of that was sort of surprising mm -hmm. to me, that at least that Tech was up there that far. So this is supposed to be a pretty solid Big 12 team, and if they're able to put it together and beat Oregon and Lubbock, 
that's where them losing to Wyoming is problematic. I think if Oregon takes care of business and wins, it doesn't really matter. That's my stance. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I also think that it would make a difference if Oregon were playing a real like out of conference opponent schedule, like Portland State, Texas Tech, and and uh, Hawaii are not necessarily like the the biggest uh, teams in the country going forward here. And it comes down to Pac-12 play, I think. Um, and it, for for Tech, like Matt said, yeah, it's only gonna it's only gonna help if they if they keep winning. Um, it's not gonna hurt. So. It's not, I, I don't just don't think it's that big of a big of a bad mark on Oregon's end of the season grade. I don't think it's going to be a big difference. And to Eric's point, if Oregon just doesn't win, then all of this doesn't matter. Yeah. All right. Second one uh, at Bigfoot eight eight zero one. Despite Tech fail, uh, falling on their face this weekend, they should still be a better barometer for both sides of the ball. What do you expect to learn about the program? And he did write it that way matching up with Big 12 roster that we didn't learn from seeing uh, from facing the Vikes. Hashtag Otsnotables. Um Well, I mean, like, there's, there's several things here uh, to start, and we're going to talk a lot about it this week. They're going to be facing a more competent quarterback. Uh, Tyler Shuck wasn't fantastic in this game, but he's a lot better than Dante Chachere. Um Shuck's numbers look better than I think they were having watched the second half in the overtime periods. He was 31 for 47, 338 yards, three touchdowns, one pick. He also ran for 36 yards. Um, we'll get more into Tyler and, and kind of his 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 career post-Oregon. I'm sure fans are, are curious to kind of see our, hear our thoughts and, and what's what's transpired since he left Eugene after 2020. But that's just like an, a face value thing of like, hey, you're going to be challenged a little bit more with a better quarterback. You're going to be challenged with better receivers. Tech actually looking through kind of their roster last year to this year. Pretty similar group of skill guys. Um, they added Dre McCray, who we remember was a, a big Oregon target at one point, that transferred out of Austin P. Um, they have also brought back, I think, like three or four of their top receivers, their top running back. So it is an, a veteran experienced skill position group. Um and just like across the board, I guess it's probably obvious, like Texas Tech's a much better roster than Portland State. So you're going to be challenged in a lot of different ways. I think the speed will be one thing. I think the the strength will be another. Um, I mean, I think Oregon's offensive and defensive fronts weren't particularly challenged this last weekend against Portland State. Not that anybody was really challenged, but those are areas you, you, you I think, especially with the offensive line and some of the questions people have, this will be a bigger challenge there. And obviously, to my first point, this will be a bigger challenge for the secondary. Um, you know, Dan even mentioned it post game, like they weren't tested against Portland State. Portland State's quarterbacks com combined to complete eight passes for like 50 yards. Mm -hmm. There's no way that's going to be what anywhere near what the final stat line looks like for Shuck and, and the Texas Tech uh, offense. So, yeah, you're going to be ch tested in areas we haven't seen tested. And there's a several areas that, you know, going into the offseason were, were clearly areas that you wanted to see improvement. And we saw we felt like we saw improvement against Portland State. But as we said, going in. I don't think any of us wanted to feel like we took too much out of that game, regardless of outcome. And it was a pretty darn good outcome for Morgan. Tech will challenge you a little bit more. They'll throw the ball around. They'll have better skill guys. They've got a better quarterback. And then defensively, they're going to probably, you know, they'll challenge Oregon's offense a lot better in terms of getting after the quarterback, posing problems for that offensive line, providing some different looks. So we'll get into more of the matchups this week, but I guess it's a roundabout way of saying, like, I guess I'll be focused on the offensive line and the secondary um, in particular, because those are, I think, the two areas coming into the season we were most curious about. And dominating Portland State's one thing, facing a, a Big 12 team on the roads, another. 
Yeah, it's all the reasons that we or all the, the reasons we laid out before the Portland State game. Uh, we had already looked ahead to Tech. Uh, we had already figured that Portland State was not going to really challenge Oregon, and nor did they uh, in an eighty-one to seven absolute thrashing. So, not a lot of challenges there. Um, like Eric just basically ran through. I think it's going to be a test to every side of the ball. It's going to be a test to quarterback, running back. It's just going to be a significantly better opponent that they're facing. Um, Tech runs an air raid system with Shuck at the helm. Uh, they're, they're quick to get it out. Uh, like Eric said, like you know, I watched probably 75-80% of that Wyoming game uh, from like the second quarter on. Wasn't, wasn't a, a great showing performance other than the last – I guess the overtime period and then the last drive down the field for Tech and Chuck um, kind of struggled at points. Uh, I, I think they're just more – they're obviously more talented than Portland State is across every side of the ball. Um, the secondary, this is going to be their first big test, just like we mentioned before Oregon even played Portland State. Like, this is going to be the barometer of of how much this defense has improved. Um, and, you know, we won't know until we go out and see it and see if they have improved, It's if it's the same old story – um, there were flashes of improvement against Portland State when they did decide to throw the ball, um, but we're not going to know until Tyler Shuck is out there trying to trying to hit seven yard out routes to see if Oregon is playing softer zone coverage or if they're manned up and trying to press at the line of scrimmage. We'll we'll find out all of this on Saturday, but um, I think it's just all the, the the outline that Eric just went through and what we went through on the pre uh, Portland State podcast of. You know, this is going to be a test of this entire team. This is just a significantly better opponent than Portland State. I think the biggest things for me going in is just how is Oregon going to respond to playing in a hostile environment? I mean, like we made a big deal about a bunch of new starters here. You know, we as in the media and people outside the program, four new starters. And, you know, a lot of these guys have played college football, though, outside of Oregon and they have a ton of experience. So this isn't going to be the first rodeo that these guys have had in a stadium where it's, it's going to be raucous. It's going to, it's going to be an interesting environment. Um, It's not the biggest stadium in the world, but at the same time, like that's what people say about Watson and people go in there and get shocked about how loud it is and how intense it is with the crowds. And tech has, they've had games where they've looked really good in previous years against a non-conference or a conference opponent in a big marquee matchup. Um, that environment's looked good. And just, so it's just, how does, how does Oregon respond to that when, when the whole crowd is rooting against you and apparently there's this tortilla thing that they throw onto the field, you know, like kind of get the, the crowd and the, the environment ramped up at tech. That's, that's apparently a thing for them. Um, I'm curious to see how that plays hey, what, out. They, and I don't, I don't, I've never heard of this, Matt. They throw a tortilla on the field? Yeah, all the fans throw tortillas on the football field. Oh, okay. I thought it was like a massive tortilla, like a, a, a size of the, the field size tortilla. I was I was excited. Yeah. Uh, I that, Apparently this has happened. Like they throw tor- – I don't know what's the reasoning for it, but okay. there's like a tortilla that gets – the fans throw tortillas on the football field. I don't know if it's like onto the sidelines or like literally trying to get it onto the field or what, but – um, okay. it, you, you play a senior quarterback. I mean, look, we, we've all, we've seen Tyler Shuck. He's been out of Oregon. He's been a starter for Oregon. We know his strengths, his weaknesses, but he's still a guy that threw for three thirty-eight, three touchdowns. And, and, uh, I think he completed like 68% of his passes against Wyoming. Um, if you don't play well, he can beat you. But if you play well, like we saw against 
Wyoming, Tech, Tech is susceptible to a loss. And Oregon should go in, and I think they're an early seven-point favorite or eight-point favorite. Um, Tech, Oregon should go in there, and I, I think they should probably win by more than that. And if they play to their to their true potential. But we just haven't – we didn't learn a lot against Portland State. But they weren't good. And like you said, Dan even came out and kind of said, like, we didn't get tested at all through the year. And that was one of our biggest concerns or questions or areas of, of, of focus going into the season is just how has Oregon's secondary improved? And they didn't get tested at all, really, against Portland State. So they should they should be fine. We should we should learn more about Oregon though this week, um, and just the depth, the talent, the individual skill sets that they have. And and back to the last question, like what Eric said, if they lose this game, that's that's damning. Now they've lost to Wyoming. I mean, it, now it's almost turned into uh, you better win this game in convincing fashion because if you don't, if you have to come from behind in the fourth quarter, you know, there's going to be some people that go, wow that team lost to Wyoming last week and just almost knocked off a top 15 team at home. Like what's wrong with Orton? Two other points of continuity before we hit the break. And then we'll talk about this throughout the week. Tim Druder, who was Oregon's defensive uh, coordinator in, in 2021 is the defensive coordinator at Texas tech. Um, so it'll be somebody who at least has familiarity with the program, but the roster is so different and the scheme is so different that I don't know how much it matters, but I just wanted to kind of acknowledge that one for fans who maybe haven't looked ahead too much. And then the other one, and it's far smaller, is, is Terrell Tillman, who was a outside linebacker turned tight end at Oregon, is now um, outside linebacker at Texas Tech. I don't think he played hardly at all against Wyoming, so he's probably not a factor, but just a couple of points of uh, carryover um, from Oregon. There are several, several individuals who have, were a part of the Oregon football program in the past who are who are now playing or, or coaching at Texas Tech. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll dive into the second half of the pod. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, Roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All 
Welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. Uh, two questions in, a couple more to go. Question three comes from Mav Eric Duck. Spells it the right way. Good job. Ooh. Hashtag Austin Audible's. Couldn't watch the game because I don't have Pac-12 Network. Didn't see any sacks in the box score. Is that concerning for our hopes of having an improved defense? Um, first off, it's going to be fun uh, when Oregon's not playing games on that network because I don't think Thank this guy is the only one having problems. I will say my dad, who was in Italy, was able to watch the game just fine on some sort of live stream he found um, somewhere on the internet. I don't know how he found it. Um, so internationally, maybe it's easier than nationally, which is a huge part of the problem. Um, but to your point... The people that are on the Paxo networks are good. They're just the distribution absolutely sucks. That's what I'm I saying. can't wait yeah. to not have Sling <laughs> ever again. Um. I didn't particularly think Lincoln Kennedy did a, a very, I don't know, I don't want to be too critical of on-air talent because I know full well how hard that is, but he, he didn't seem to be particularly familiar with a lot of Oregon's roster having rewatched the game. Um, to the real question, though, aside, we don't need to pick apart the, the network anymore because um, this is the last year folks will have to deal with it. Yeah, the no sacks in the box score, probably concerning at face value, would have liked to get home. I did look through PFF's um, pressure stuff from the game. Mm-hmm. Oregon had, I think, a quarterback hit five hurries on 20 total dropbacks. So that means like one-third of the dropbacks, they were at least impacting the passer. And having watched the game, I would estimate that, what do you think, Jared, eight, seven or eight of those passes from Shasha Ray were like quick hitters where you weren't going to get much pressure or much impact in there. I don't have an exact count, but it, it was. You had, you had 14. I'd probably say 13 of them were, uh, 12 of them were. He had the wheel route and then the one that was to a misplay by Kamari Terrell. So at least 12 of them were quick hitters. He was not yeah. throwing the ball more than six or seven yards down the field. Yeah, so that part's going to make it deceiving. But Oregon really, if you, especially when Brandon Dorless got in the game, there was a shift, and I think probably two of his first 10 snaps on defense maybe, he was in the backfield making things happen. Casey Rogers was impactful. Um Trying to think of anybody else. I guess I could look at the hurries. Mateo was credited with one. So, so was Connor Soley and Kian Ware Hudson. Um, so, yeah, I, I I didn't think it was fantastic, but kind of to the point we made earlier about the secondary not being tested. Well, Portland State's offense got to a point where they just stopped throwing the football. I mean, you think about a team that loses 81 to 7 and they only attempt 20 passes. Like, that's, that's actually something we haven't talked about. That's pretty interesting. Like, they just didn't throw the football. I know part of it was they just didn't have any traction in the second half. But they ran it at least once on a third down play in the second half where it was just kind of, again, waving the white flag. Um, mm-hmm. So is it concerning? I don't know how concerning it is. You would have liked to see them get home, I guess. But I, I, I'm also not, like, more concerned coming out of this game by the pass rush based upon what I saw. There was just so many – it was such a limited number of opportunities to do anything. And, again, like – you take a basically a, a pressure rate of once every three downs. I think you'll. I think that's pretty solid. So um, it wasn't high volume opportunity, but I, I thought they were pretty good in the moments they did have. But again, we'll see. We'll learn a lot more this weekend in future games. Uh, concerning, no, not at all. Um, like to all the points that Eric just laid out, Portland State was not looking to try to throw the ball down the field. They were not going to give an opportunity for Sachery to be hurt to get injured, to get sacked, to just take on a full hit from Jordan Birch or Brandon Dorless. Um, and when Dorless came into the game, like Eric mentioned, the game, or at least the 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 shift in the defensive line happened for Oregon. You know, he's just a <clears throat> excuse me, he's just a home wrecker. He 
gets in there. He destroys an offensive lineman in front of him, especially one of the caliber of Portland State's offensive linemen. Um, and he provides an opportunity for guys to get off the edge because he needs or they need to double team him. So if there's a double team on on Dorless, that means there's one guy on Birch, there's one guy on Mateo, there's one guy on Popo. That's where this Oregon defensive line looks better. That's where they perform better. Um, you know, Tyler Shuck, I think, was sacked four times against Wyoming. I think they had six or seven tackles for loss. Um, the Wyoming defense did. I think Oregon is going to have their plenty of opportunities to get to the passer against Texas Tech. I think, again, this goes back to our previous question about um, what are we going to learn when they play Tech. You're going to learn everything, and this is including. Like, you're going to learn everything about the team and the defensive line and their pass rush capabilities are going to be included in that. Um, so I, I feel good about it. I, I like what I saw from Birch. I like what I saw from Doris, especially when those two were on the field together on the same defensive line. Um, for me, I think a lot of the second half was just trying to get guys involved and trying to get the true freshman to play and maybe get some reps from Mateo and Purchase. So this game might look a little different in terms of their rep counts and who they want out there on the field to get a pass rush. Um, so I'm not... I'm not concerned at all about Oregon's pass rush. I mean, maybe after Texas Tech, we'll get the same question. Then I'll have, maybe have a different answer for you. If I was told that Oregon would have zero sacks in that game before the game started, I'd say, well, that was that'd be a surprise. Um, but seeing how the game played out, seeing what Portland State did, I mean, they threw the ball just 20 times. And the number of times that Oregon got pressures on, I think it was seven. I mean, that that's pretty good. And yeah, that's yeah. Eric, you had seven, right? You were saying that earlier. Uh, PFF had six. Yeah. The I, I PFF had six. Um, the stat broadcast had seven for Oregon. Mm. That's where I got the seven from. Sure. Um, but regardless, like that's one. It's. I'm not concerned at all. We'll we'll learn more, like Jared said, at Tech, and you know if and we may not learn actually anything at Tech too. Like they're an air raid team, and maybe they employ the the true air raid philosophy of we're going to get the ball out quick. We're not even going to let the quarterback have you know the defense have time to get to the quarterback to, to to get sacks. So we might not know until when Oregon plays Colorado because the, Oregon's next opponent, Hawaii. Uh, run and shoot, and they don't hold the ball very long either. So um, I, I think, like what Jared said, you saw guys get pressures. You saw what Mateo, uh, Blake Purchase, um, Brandon Dorless, uh, Birch, you saw what those guys were able to do and get to the court, you know, get through the defensive line or get through the offensive line, excuse me, and kind of cause some havoc. Those will eventually turn into sacks when they play teams that run a style that asked their quarterback to hold on to the football a little bit longer. Portland State just didn't didn't try to throw. I mean, it you, you, it was very evident at halftime or at the end of the first, second quarter when they when they there was like a minute and fifteen seconds left yeah. and they just kneeled the football to get out of there. They they were very it was very clear they were trying to let's get out of here as as healthy as we possibly can at this point. We can't compete. That's what Bruce Barnum even said. Like we're fast as an FCS team, but there's. No way we match up well with Oregon speed. Um, he said that going into the game. So I think th- I think a lot of what we saw in the second half from Portland State was 
This game is clearly over. We cannot physically match up with them. Let's just get out of here healthy the best way we can so that we can get to the next week and be prepared to compete at the FCS level, which, you know, for Oregon, like that's kind of the downside of playing these games is sometimes you get some games where they just, they pack it in. And I bet you, I think if Bruce Barnum, I, I haven't seen his post game quotes. Obviously he's really disappointed. They got to be 81 to seven. I, I bet you he feels okay that the, their first team offense scored a touchdown against Oregon's first team defense. I bet you they come away feeling like, Hey, that mm-hmm. is a proof of concept that against a much better competition, we can move the ball and score. Obviously the rest of the game proves we're a long ways away. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to acknowledge that part. All right, last one from a frequent question asker, Ross underscore Maselich. Which freshman impressed you most with their play on Saturday? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. We mentioned it right at the tail end of our recap pod on Saturday. Jaden Lamar and Dante Dowdell both scored touchdowns. Those are going to be probably the two most obvious ones just because I think they both touched the ball. What, like, I don't have the box score in front of me, like seven or eight times each, um, at least on run plays. I know Lamar had three or four eight rushes yeah eight rushes 16. each lamar had yeah and lamar had four catches dowdell did not have a catch so those guys touched the ball combined about 20 times so that's going to be the obvious and easy choice and like just to kind of um assess their play like i don't know they both played pretty darn well i think you're encouraged by what you saw from both of them i, I thought it was a little bit surprising that lamar was on the field a little earlier than dowdell even though they ended up with probably very similar snap counts um but I think you kind of saw what both of them can provide. Lamar had some a little bit more speed, a little more wiggle, was able to get on the on the edge a couple of times on on, on uh, swing passes and, and make something happen. Um, they both found the end zone, and I think Dowdell to me was probably if I'm picking between the two more impressive, just because you saw the ability to just like drag tacklers four or five yards downfield happen a couple of times. Mm-hmm. We wondered if that would how that would transition from high school to college football against FCS competition. It looks like it does. We'll see what it or how it works later on this season, if slash when he gets in against Power Five teams. Um, I thought both of those guys certainly like. I don't think anybody came away disappointed with how they performed. As Jared said, eight rushes each. Dowdell averaged about seven yards per carry. Lamar six point four. Like that's pretty darn good. They both found the end zone. Don't have a whole lot more yeah. to add on, on those two. Um, Jared, how about you? Would anybody stand out? And I guess those two are obvious on offense, but maybe on defense, a guy or two. Defense, I mean, there's like there's a clear answer in Mateo. Um, I don't know if he had any counting stats though. He had, he had three tackles. Yeah, no, he had, he had three, three tackles. Sorry, he had, he had three tackles. I was yeah. thinking of Blake Purchase, who was the other guy who played uh, a significantly, I don't know, higher role than I anticipated. That's for sure. But uh, Purchase finished with, I think, like seventeen or no, fourteen snaps on defense, um, which was again more than I thought. I think he came in on the first or second series. For Portland State, um, yeah, I, I, there's just not a lot of defensive guys who played a lot of snaps. I mean, Mateo obviously led the way, but that was only 22, and then purchased at 14. Cole Martin, 13. Um, Dalen Austin did pretty well in his short period of time out there. Uh, I think he, he had a, one or two pass breakups. Uh, Tyler Turner had a pass breakup as well. Um, that was kind of a more of a of a bad throw, while Dalen Austin's was was a better play. Um, not a whole lot of standouts. It was good to see everybody out there on the field. I thought the defensive line did pretty well just as a group. Um, Terrence Green had like five snaps, but like three yeah. tackles or two tackles. Gonna, he was yeah, was he was uh, rated pretty highly by PFF just in terms of being um, 
like a destroyer of worlds and just going in there and, and beating up on Portland State's offensive line. So maybe he can be something. Um, but I just like that the that they showed what kind of depth they've brought in from this past class where um, I think it's basically everybody but uh, uh, Jerry Mixon, a linebacker, you know, they, they have guys at every position that they need. Um, and so I guess it's Mateo is a clear standout, but other than that, I don't, I don't really have an answer. Maybe just, maybe it's just Terrence Green. I was going to say Terrence Green did lead the defense in, P, in uh, PFF's grade in five snaps. So mm-hmm. he's, uh, he's, yeah. the, he's, he's the pick, I guess. That's awesome. exactly where I was going to go. Like, yeah. I want to go and see if we can like find the five snaps that he played and just yeah. watch it they were, over and over again. They were all the final drive, the two drives for uh, Portland State. He did, yeah. he had two tackles. He just beat up guys in the interior. It was when uh, we were walking down the field. He just yeah. swim moved around a guy and got got to the line of scrimmage and just uh, he he was the biggest person on the field at that point. So I would expect him to do that. But it was nice to see again, extremely limited sample size and against Portland State. But um, maybe he. This is kind of like the Jason Jones effect. Like maybe he turns himself into a guy who gets into the rotation or, or I don't know. But I, I liked what I saw from him in those five snaps. I'll go uh, offensively, Poncho. Um, and not necessarily just because of I – mean, when he got in the game, I think they ran four straight plays to the right. And now I don't know if that was by design or if there was some handoffs that – could dictate where the ball was going and that's just kind of the read that they got we don't know that but i thought it was interesting a that he got in the game like the third or fourth possession of the first half for oregon and then when he did get in they basically ran the ball four straight times to his side and they scored a touchdown um Mm -hmm. which to me like you can't be in there and not perform well in that scenario so like he obviously did something, but it's almost more so the fact that, hey, he was, I think, the first offensive lineman to come off the bench and get put into the game, which whether it's injuries or whether guys were you know, being held out for other reasons, we don't know. But the fact is he was the first offensive lineman, to my knowledge, selected to, to go into the game as a backup, which says a lot to me, especially considering as a true freshman. So. Um, I don't need to spend too much time on the defense, but I would I would go Poncho. I, I think um, maybe we should talk about things we saw in rewatch because this is a little shorter pod, and then also the PFF snap count stuff that stood out. And the reason I thought of this mm-hmm. is Poncho being especially at right guard was interesting because that's where Junior Angilau has repped, and that lets yep. me talk about the fact that he only played eight snaps and was not. I don't know if he played hardly at all in the first half. Um, he played, I think, the, the fourth half. quarter. Yeah, I was going to say. I don't he played think he in the very last yeah. drive. Yeah. There you go. So he, I didn't think he played hardly at all until late. So eight snaps from him. That was interesting. Um, that was a guy who I think when he transferred, the thought was, okay, he's probably going to be a starter. I mean, he started 30-plus games at Texas, missed all of the last season with an injury. You wonder if he's just having a hard time working his way back. Well, there's been some transfers in the past, I guess even last year with um, – Shoot, I'm forgetting the name. The receiver from Texas A&M who uh, – uh, Caleb Chapman. Had, yeah, Caleb Chapman. There you go. Who just – you know, their bodies wear down, and you get to a point in their career where you just don't have a whole lot to offer. And Chapman was the guy that they brought in who had had some big moments at A&M, I think against Florida. He had like a two-touchdown, 100-yard game or something like that. Like he'd shown some stuff. Mm-hmm. Got to Oregon, 
body just didn't work, didn't end up being much of a contributor. I don't want to jump to any conclusions that that's junior, but the first game, the fact that he hardly plays until the very end of the game when walk-ons are out there and other freshmen and that he only plays eight snaps, that's that's a little bit surprising for sure. Yes. This goes to back what I was saying, though, and during the fall camp where, again, we're uh, just barely over a year from him tearing an ACL last right. year. Like, this is what I was saying. Like, his legs might not be there yet, and maybe he comes along. And maybe this is why Oregon went and got Nishad Struther out of the transfer portal after landing Angelou and seeing him in camp. Um, he's a guy who can play both positions. I think it was encouraging that he was out there because we've never really seen him do anything on the football field. He didn't play in the spring game. We haven't seen him do a lot other than uh, just like some some blocking drills that don't, don't really have a pass rush in them and during practice. So right. I think it was at least encouraging to see him out there, but I'm not overly surprised by this just because, you know, it's going to, it takes a while to get the strength needed to be an offensive lineman after an ACL tear. It's one thing when you're a wide receiver and you can come back, you can get the speed and, and most of the strength that you need as a wide receiver. But for an offensive lineman who, you know, uh, guys pride themselves on being able to squat over five to 600 pounds, like, you need an incredible amount of strength to be an offensive lineman. And I think he's still just working back from that. I'm just, I'm, I think it's encouraging that he played in the game. I know that was in garbage time and it was like the very last drive of the game for Oregon, but uh, I, I think it's at least a little bit encouraging that he got in. I'm not going to agree with this comment, but just I'm going to present it more so. If he was eventually going to become the, the guy that would take over things at that guard spot or would play a lot more and they're just easing him in due to injury – why would they even play him in the last eight snaps of the offensive drive in that game? You know, it, it wasn't worth it to me in that regard. I, I'm just presenting that idea. I don't know if that's if I even mm-hmm. agree with that line, but to me, that's where like, because I I agree like with what Jared said of it takes a long time for guys to recover from injuries like that. And I mean, the most notable thing I I remember about the tight ends this summer for fall camp was Drew Merriger saying. Patrick Herbert's going to look like a different person because he's a full year removed from recovery yeah. from his injury. And he did look like a different player when he was out there on Saturday. And so we're seeing junior angle out just get to that one year mark post injury. And every day is going to be a little bit better and better, but if he's not all the way there yet, why even risk it against Portland state with the games that, you know, the, the game and time that he entered the game, which is that's what makes me confused by it. it game well, why did why did Bo Nix start the second half when they were up fifty yeah. to seven? It's game reps. It's just trying to get guys acclimated to their system. Um, they must feel really good about Poncho and having him play right guard, like Eric mentioned. Um, so if he just wants to take it slow and they just want to give him eight to ten reps in that game, I don't, I don't think it's a big problem. Um, because they feel they must feel good about Poncho and his ability to play right guard. Um, they probably feel good about Struther coming back and being able to play one of the guard positions. Um, I think it's just about game reps. I think that was a lot of the Portland State game, at least in the second half, was like, all right, we need to continue to get these guys to build some chemistry and mesh right. together. Jared, you, you wrote about 
on Duck Territory. And for those who want to get kind of a breakdown who aren't members over at PFF, um, Jared did cover kind of what he saw. What what Are there anything? I mentioned Angulao and his, his few number of snaps. Was there anything that really mm-hmm. jumped out when you were going through that exercise of putting that together? Uh, I'm trying to think of stuff that really, really jumped out. Um, Marcus Harper, like, is who we thought he was. Um, he's a very good pass blocker, but maybe not a great run blocker. Um, and that was kind of evidence towards what direction Oregon ran in on, on Saturday. Uh, Matt was talking about how they went to the right side a lot with Poncho in the game. Uh, Oregon went to the right side of the line kind of frequently uh, on the outside of uh, a Johnny Cornelius or whoever was at right tackle and trying to set the edge at the tight end. They did that uh, 13 times the most out of any, uh, I guess, place on the offensive line where they could run. Um, but they – Upon like you know watching the game over again, um, they had a lot of quick hitters to the left side of the offensive line, just like screen, not screens, but guys coming in motion and they're trying to confuse the defense, a fake handoff, an RPO, and Bonex just dumps it out to to Tez Johnson or Troy Franklin running around the left side of the line. So I think there's something to that. I don't think it's a lot, but um, Marcus Harper has performed at least by the PFF standards has performed very well in pass blocking, but not, not, not great in run blocking. Um, did the same thing on Saturday. Uh, Johnny Cornelius and Josh Connerly graded out really well. And again, this is against Portland state, but mildly encouraging um, offensively, not a whole lot here. Uh, I think like people played how we saw they played in the game. Like, okay, this guy did really well. So his PFF grade that reflects it. Um, <clears throat> defensively, I think there were a couple interesting things here. Um, some, some poor tackling grades, but I think those are mostly because of like one or two moments. And I think they all came right. on the drive that, that Portland state scored a touchdown on. Um, if you go rewatch it, those are the two chunk plays, the Sachere run, and then whoever the running back was grub. Maybe I don't remember who it was, who had that no. big one. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it wasn't Craig. Grubb. It was Quincy go. Craig. There you go. Um, those were just misses. These were uh, Dan talked about in, in the post game, like two guys messed up. Well, upon further review, yeah, two guys messed up. Um, it was Jeffrey Bossa and Mateo Youngalale on the first one, and then it was uh, Casey Rogers and I think Mateo Youngalale on the next one. Like they just got juked out of their shoes. They crashed too hard on the on the offensive line, and the running back went right around them. So some of that's reflected in their PFF grade, like especially their tackling grade. Um, I think Bossy got dinged up on the not physically made, dinged up, he, but his uh, grade got dinged up on the wheel route where Tyshim Johnson made the play over the top. Then there was also a scramble on the drive. There was another drive that I think they made a little bit of hay, and uh, two drives after the scoring drive, and and it started because of of another mistake by Bossa where he was he jumped in the air and Cheshire ran through him for about a fifteen yard gain. Um, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't even know if I would qualify that as a mistake from Bossa. I would say that it was a good play by Sachere to to pump right. fake well, his I'm guy in the air and to, uh, go by. Uh, oh, to, like his grade. Yeah, to why maybe the grade? Because if you do, I mean, I I hate making the podcast a Jeff Jeffrey uh, a drag Jeffrey Bossa pod, um, but the PFF grade is quite similar to what it was a year ago, and that's not a good thing for those that have listened for a while. Um, there were a couple yeah, plays that weren't great there. I thought Jamal. Uh, Mr. Run fit as well on your on the Craig run. I think he was a little bit out of position, but regardless, you're right. It was front seven guys that that made mistakes on those on those plays. I think pretty clear when you watch it. And and uh, 
Taishi made a heck of a play to recover on that wheel route, but, mm-hmm. but Jeff was a step slow and I think identifying and getting where he needed to go. Yeah, I thought that was a great play by Taishi. Awesome. I thought that's a play that doesn't happen last year and that Oregon just doesn't have the personnel to prevent that from happening. Um, uh, I guess the nice thing is, is that 19 Oregon players had a tackling grade above 70. Uh, that's not something that they saw a lot last season. Um, Basa, for as much as we just kind of tore him apart right there, uh, second on the team in tackling, 80.2. Uh, Taishim was number one, 81.7. Uh, Steve Stevens and Bryce Betcher, Connor Soley kind of round out the top five. So two linebackers, a couple safeties, or three linebackers and a couple safeties. Um, yeah, I thought it was, at least from a PFF perspective, it's exactly what you'd think it would be. Um, the team won 81 to 7. The grades are good. That should happen. Um, there are some some things that I'll have, you know, I have to go back, watch, and each individual snap and kind of get a feel for and how that was graded. But uh, yeah, overall, nothing incredibly surprising about what you'd expect in an 81 to 7 win. Uh, I'll be more interested next week to see the snap counts for that because the highest snap yeah, count that's on either point. side of the ball was Jackson Powers Johnson at 50. Yep. Um, he played all center, obviously. Um, the highest on defense was Taishim at 41, and then it drops off by 10 to Brian Addison yeah. at 31, yeah. and then down to 30 and 28. So defense, they rotated a lot of guys. Offense, they kept the line out there, the offensive line out there for a long time, like I had anticipated. Um, but still, only 50 snaps. I think it was like 45 or 47 to Josh Connerly. So um, I think we have a pretty good idea about the guys that they like. Um, but next week's snap count is going to be way more interesting. Do we know if uh, Connor Soli's five tackles, how many of those came on special teams? Or was that primarily def- defense? Because his play per tackle rate is pretty damn impressive. 18 total plays and five tackles. Like, yeah. I mean, that's really good. Um, very productive only... from when he's out there. Because, I mean, I know he has a quarterback hurry. Um, I'm just kind of curious of like, if that was a special teams ace, which was kind of what we thought he was going to be when he, he showed up, or if it was him just being a ball hawk on, on the field. I think Oregon had, only, had... One, only, Oregon yeah. had one tackle in special teams, and that was the very first kickoff. Yeah. Huh. So that was him because yeah, but all touchbacks. No, they, it was all touchbacks and no one that he bought that he fumbled. Yep. So no, yeah. I, it was it was all all game tackles and they all came. Most of them came in the fourth quarter. Just run plays. It was it was Portland State waving the white flag like we right. talked about, and they're just running right up the middle. Connor Soley was like, "All right, I'll take it. Let's go." Yeah. But you know that's still what you want from a linebacker is yeah. you know even if they're running the mm-hmm. football and you know it's coming, he knows where to go and get through the fits and and get the tackle, which mm-hmm. hasn't always been the case at Oregon for some linebackers uh, in previous years. All right. Uh, I think that's it on today's show. So thank you for listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. We'll be back tomorrow where we break down some comments from Dan Lanning and some Oregon players getting ready for the Texas Tech game. Uh, on Wednesday, we are going to have uh, – someone from our Texas Tech site come on and kind of preview the game. And then on Thursday, we'll have our game prediction podcast go up like we did last week. But until then, you've been listening to the Autzen Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. On May 23rd. 
I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie <laughs> dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus.